You're listening to the Kilcullen Diary Podcasts. Stories in sound from a village grown bigger. Hello, I'm Brian Byrne, and you're listening to In Those Days, a Kilcullen Diary series on memories before today. Some are mine, some are my family's, and some are other people's. In this episode, I'm talking about the pulling of pints of Guinness in the past. It's funny how memory connections are made. An online writer friend of mine was asking, in jest, if the flames blowing out of the CD slot on his new Apple Mac Mini were normal. It was his first Mac, as he'd always been a PC and Windows man. Being a long-time Mac-head myself, I replied, also in jest, yes, you've just switched on the barbecue function. And there's an undocumented ice maker in there somewhere too. But the draft beer outlet has to be linked up to a firkin. All a little bit of nonsense, of course. But that last word brought memories tiptoeing back. When I was growing up in the pub business, the firkin was a smaller version of the aluminium keg now used to hold all draft beers. It was mostly Guinness then. Instead of a single connector on the top, it had two on the side, one to take the gas supply and the other leading to the dispenser, a stainless steel cooler that sat on the counter. A series of trays inside helped the high Guinness to settle a little before it came through a tap into the glass. It worked pretty well unless we got really busy, and then everything coming out was white, and we had to dismantle the unit and clear off accumulated foam. It was high-tech for its time, though in these days of carefully metered and chilled beer dispensing, it seems quite archaic. While we called it a cooler, there was at that time no question of actually cooling Guinness. However, I have two strong memories of even less sophisticated dispensing the black stuff. The first, as a small child, wandering in behind the bar of my aunt's pub. I still have a clear vision of the copper sink with a copper jug in it, and a brace of old beer pump handles fixed to the counter. There was no gas used then. The Guinness came in wooden kegs, stored either in a cellar or under the counter, and the beer was literally pumped up out of them. Over a while, the copper sink would end up with the topping off of the beer glasses swilling around in it. Every so often the copper jug would be dipped in, picking up the filling of a couple or three pints. This would be used to half-fill the glasses before the pumped and foamy, fresh-from-the-barrel Guinness was used to top them off. There's no doubt that anyone doing that today would lose every customer they had in very short order, but nobody thought anything about it then. Later, in my teens, I used to work summers down in the Royal Hotel on Valencia Island. Most of the time, I worked in the residence bar. There was no draft Guinness there. Anybody wanting the black stuff had to drink it from bottles. There was draft in the locals' bar. But though gas-pumped Guinness was commonplace throughout the country, the logistics and probably the cost of getting gas across the Sound to Knightstown meant this system wasn't realistic. So we used a variation of the system, I remembered from my childhood. There were no beer pumps made anymore, so gravity had to be used. Two firkins were set up on the bar counter, the side openings facing into the barmen. 
natty plastic covers took the bad look off the aluminium barrels. A brass beer tap was inserted into the bottom bunghole on each, and initially there was enough pressure from inside the firkin to push out a fairly creamy product which took its time to settle. A stainless steel jug under each tap caught the overflow and these would be used from time to time to add more flat. When one of the firkins was only pouring flat itself, the initial pressure gone, the other would be brought into use. Through the evening the pints would be filled by alternately pouring flat and foamy from the respective firkins. If we kept it going right, the flat one would empty just about the time the second one became flat itself. And then it was a case of heaving a new firkin up in place of the empty, and the sequence started all over again. Everybody thought there were great pints. Still, if we tried that one on today, what do you think? Now there's a bridge to the island and proper roads, so delivery of the modern beer is no problem on Valencia. One last item in this vein. After leaving school, having always wanted to be a pilot, I got to go to England for an interview and tests with a view to joining the RAF. A vision imbalance from a childhood eye operation knocked me out at the end of the four-day process, and it was homeward bound for years truly. But not immediately. The RAF had paid for my train ticket from Ireland to London, and the return was good for three months. So I decided to get a job in London for the duration. I got in as a junior barman in Mooney's of High Holborn, one of a chain of Irish-owned bars in the city. It was an easy enough number, with most of the business being the provision of a watering hole and lunch space for the office workers of the area. At night it was pretty dead, with just a few regulars. I can't remember his name, and it's probably just as well, but the manager was a Londoner who didn't have any of the grace of the Irish publican. He was a condescending, you know what, actually, who had no business running what purported to be an Irish pub. He had a particular instruction. There were maybe six different beers on tap in the bar, two of which were Guinness, all with their own drip trays. Every afternoon and night time, after each closing, we had to empty all the trays into an enamel bucket. The Guinness gave the whole mix a blackish colour, and the boss's order was that this should be used by the jugful in filling pints of Guinness during the lunch trade the next day, and this had to be done before any straight pint could be poured. In the quiet before the rush of lunch hour, it was common to get a stack of pints nearly ready so they could be topped off and served quickly to office people nipping in for their fast lunch. You could set your clock by them. Of course, in the case of a pint for the governor and his cronies, this wasn't to be done. None of us liked it, but jobs were scarce enough, and it was part of the job, and he was the boss. In the end, after a month, I told him I wouldn't do it any more; that it was a lousy and shameful practice. We verbally fought about my stance for several weeks. It didn't matter to me. I was going home anyway, and I did eventually. But he never threatened to fire me. I guess he knew I didn't care, that I was only in it for the short haul. I could have easily done him damage by coming back in as a customer and letting every one of the lunchtime regulars know what they were getting. So, he wasn't a total idiot. I'm Brian Byrne. This is Kilcullen Diary. Thanks for listening.